Week four, day three, God's promises versus David's reality. My name is AJ Venegas, and I am the director of community groups. In the previous two episodes, Larry showed us how the songs of the sons of Korah moved from despair to praise through the law of the Lord and a fresh vision of the Messiah. Randy explained the first Psalm of Asaph that showed us how sacrificial giving can be an incredible expression of worship. When we give, we are expressing that we have faith in God's control over all things, even in the midst of trials. Similar to book one, the next several episodes will begin to analyze how these themes play out in our prototypical example of the blessed life, King David. This larger section of Psalms 51 to 71 begins by bringing us to David's lowest, and I mean lowest, moments. Psalm 51, 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Can you hear the anguish in David's voice? In Psalm 51, we meet David right after Nathan has confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. If you're unfamiliar with the story, you can check it out in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. This egregious sin ironically happens shortly after God promises David an everlasting kingdom in 2 Samuel 7, and he experiences a multitude of military victories in chapters 8 to 10. Long story short, David fails to remain humble. He lusts after Bathsheba while she's bathing. He takes her and sends her husband Uriah to the front lines to die in battle. A low moment for sure. This specific psalm reminds us as readers that while King David brought Israel to a proverbial golden age, his heart was still captivated by the power of sin. The Bathsheba incident is the moment in scripture in which we learn that even King David fell inadequately short. This same David, a man described after God's own heart, could not overcome his own prideful lusts. This same David was in need of some sort of intervention to cleanse his heart and be restored. But what might this intervention look like? How would David learn to flee from his sinful tendencies and trust that God's way is good? Would God remain faithful and true to his promises of an everlasting kingdom when even David fails? As we move into this section, we get to see David wrestle with these very questions. But let's not forget, all of God's chosen people of Israel would have been wrestling with these same questions in the midst of exile. Let's not forget that we, as readers of the scriptures, are invited to ask these same questions, knowing that the descendants of David all failed, 
see the book of Kings. If only God would do something to put a stop to our sinful tendencies. Psalm 51 to 60 brings us alongside David as things begin to spiral out of control. Yet in his turmoil, we learn how we ought to approach God and address our deteriorating situations. Here's a window into David's heart as he just begins to encounter troubles in his life. Psalm 52, 1 and verses 8 to 9 say, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Psalm 53, 1-4 The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? Okay, at first David seems confident in the fact that those who are against the God of Israel will be blown away and that those with God will be planted firm like a tree in the house of God. These themes should sound familiar to you, I hope. But here is the question. Is David able to hold on to these specific beliefs as his trials escalate. Let's take a look as the volume gets turned up. Psalm 55, 1-3. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Psalm 56, 1-2. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Psalm 57, verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Psalm 59, 1 through 5. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. The pattern of the Psalms reflects a common pattern in our human experience. When one or two things go wrong, it's easy to maintain the Christian faith. When five or six things go wrong, and things get worse and worse, our faith is put to the toughest test. I'd like to share with you a term in the athletic world that some of you may not be aware of. You actually may have experienced this in your own life, whether you are an athlete or not. The term is called the yips. The onset of what we call the yips occurs when an athlete experiences a single performance failure or hardship. Say, for example, someone shoots a basketball and misses everything. 
That's what we call an air ball. Now, superstar athletes are able to shrug off one failure as an anomaly or an outlier. Other athletes with less confidence hold on to this mistake. That painful sting of failure never leaves them. So what happens when they take their next shot? The next time the ball is passed to them and they are wide open for the shot, they now remember that air ball all too well. That small inkling of doubt sets in and they begin to question their own ability to perform the task. Lo and behold, they either pass the ball or shoot yet another air ball. Two air balls in a row. Now they begin to wonder, is this actually rare or am I just not that good at basketball? In other words, one mistake has now compounded into a pattern of failure. Doubt can quickly spiral out of control. Over time, this psychological spiral deteriorates confidence so much that prominent athletes lose their ability to perform even the simplest of tasks. I've seen this very thing happen to some of the best athletes in the world. It has even happened to me because I was unable to detach from my past mistakes. When I shoot one or two air balls, it's easy to maintain the belief that I'm still good at basketball. When I shoot five or six air balls, I begin to strongly doubt my abilities as a basketball player. Now, let me ask you, are you stuck in a cycle of repeated failures or hardships? Maybe it's a, a string of terrible events that have happened, an addiction, a recurring belief about who you are. It eats away at your very soul to the point where you begin to question God. And every time that specific temptation or situation bubbles up in your life, it only gets worse. Have you held on to your trials so much so that you have progressively forgotten some of the most basic things about God? Oh Lord, how do we overcome the cycle of despair? The Psalms show that in the middle of David's lowest moments, he is also in the process of restoration. This comes by meditating on what is true about God. Here's a list of passages of all the things David holds on to. First, David remembers his promises. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Psalm 53, verse 6. He remembers that God is on the throne and offers refuge. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old because they do not change and do not fear God. Psalm 55 verses 16 and 19. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 57, 5 and 11. He also remembers God's steadfast love. Psalm 56, 8 through 9 says, You have kept count of my tossing. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Psalm 59, 16 to 17 says, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. O oh God, you are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Finally, he remembers that Yahweh is a God of justice. 
Psalm 58, 10 to 11. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Psalm 51 to 60 gives us an inside view of the back and forth wrestling match that is happening in David's heart. It's truly a war for perspective. Will David remember what is true about God? We actually don't quite see a resolution in this section. But we get to keep reading the Psalms to see how David approaches the tension between God's promises and his reality. What we do learn is that our God does not abandon us while we are suffering from the spiritual yips. God is present with David during these internal battles. It is God who speaks at the end of this section. Psalm 60, 6 through 12. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. So just like God spoke in David's situation, God continues to speak to us definitively through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, and through his son, Jesus. In these moments of tension, we must rely on God's revealed word to us. What does God say exactly? He describes the surrounding nations to suggest that they all belong to him. All of the enemies of David and Israel do not have power over Yahweh, even though it may seem like it for a time. Moab is my washbin. Upon Edom, I cast my shoe. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. As we move into the next couple of days, we will continue to look for some of the themes we have already seen as David continues to wrestle with his difficult circumstances. A fresh vision of the Messiah, a return to the law of the Lord, a longing to be in God's presence, and different allusions to God's natural and special revelation. For now, we're left with David in doubt. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Here's a little worship experiment for you. Approach the Lord today, recognizing that he wants to put an end to your spiritual yips and that he continues to speak into your life. In your daily routine, can you spend some time today in prayer or scripture reading and simply yield to what the Holy Spirit has to say about your life? Take some time and reflect on what this experience, this yielding experience is like for you and share with your group how you believe the Lord is speaking to you. Thank you.